praise you, Lord. Friends, aren't you glad that God is able? We serve the living God this morning. Let's continue to praise him. Come on.
God is able. Well, let's lift the praise to him this morning. Our God is able. Amen. You guys may be seated.
Good morning and welcome to Cypress Bible Church. For those streaming this morning, good morning as well. Uh, my name is Jonathan Chang and I'm one of the pastors on staff here and we're just so glad that you all are worshiping with us. We do have a couple of announcements, big things going this week. We have our online VBS and it begins this week. And so a couple of things is we have some VBS activity packets that are going to be available starting today in the commons. And so be sure to register your kids for VBS and you can tune in beginning this Tuesday and we're going to have our first video live stream. We're so excited about that. If you go to cypressbible.org slash VBS to register, you'll be able to watch videos and so much much more. Also, along with VBS, uh, there are ways that you can help and support our VBS this time. Uh, one of the most important ways is through praying. You can pray for not just the kids that are going to be attending, but the volunteers as well. And so likewise, you can also go and grab a bracelet and pray throughout the week for all those that will be attending. And if you want to join the VBS prayer team, uh, you can email cbcpraysforvbs at gmail.com to sign up and pray from home, from home. And all these things will be on our website. So the more you want to learn about it, again, go to cypressbible.org slash vbs. Jennifer, I got a joke. How do you organize a space party? You plan it. Okay, one more, one more. Jennifer, why are elevator jokes so good? I don't know because they work on so many levels. <laughs> Good morning. We are so thankful that you are worshiping with us today. Uh, we want to honor our biological and spiritual fathers. Um, you are crucial to us, and we are so very thankful for you. Um, have a wonderful Father's Day. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are so good and so kind. We praise you for being perfect, being the perfect Father. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. And thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me invite you all to stand with us. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 4, verses 23, it reads this. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. And so let me encourage you to let go of any distraction or things that are going on because there's a lot going on. And let us focus our times, our energies, our heart, and our minds on the Lord. Let us allow the Spirit to lead us as we gather to worship his great name this morning. So together, there's nothing worth more. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You are living home. Your presence. Tasted and seen 
of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Let's sing it out together, Holy Spirit. Let us experience the glory of your 
Continue to invite the presence of the Spirit among us with our Old Testament reading. Uh, would you listen to the Word of God as I read from Psalm 51? Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. And then this prayer of confession like you to join me in praying these words aloud as we speak to our God in worship today. Join me. God, our Father, we exalt you as Lord over all creation. There is none like you. We thank you for your faithfulness, even when we are faithless. We repent of failing to love you with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength. We repent of not loving others as we love ourselves. We confess our sins and joyfully accept your forgiveness in Christ. Cause us to cling only to you in times of distress, so that life may be a continual discovery of the depths of your grace. Continue to reshape our lives into the image of your Son. We ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen. And our New Testament reading, listen to these words from 1 John chapter 3. Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, If our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And then a few verses later, 1 John 4, 4, would you read these words with me as we declare the greatness of God? You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Thanks be to God. Heaven is real, death is a lie. I want to hear voices of 
angels above singing as one hallelujah holy holy god almighty the great i am who is worthy none beside thee god almighty the great i am i want to be near near to your heart loving the world hating the dark i want to see dry bones living again singing as one hallelujah holy holy god almighty the great i am who is worthy none beside me god almighty the great i Together the mountain shake, the mountains shake before you, the demons run and flee. At the mention of your name, King of Majesty, there is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power in the presence of the great I am.
you. We thank you because you are the great I am. You are the, the Lord who hears us. God, you make everything. You made the stars in the sky. You made the, the galaxies and you made us, Lord. And what an awesome privilege it is that, that you've called us and you've, you've drawn us to yourself. Let's sing this together. Spread out the sky over empty space. Said that there'd be light before this world your life was born. You spread out your arms over empty hearts. Said that there'd be light. Into a dark and hopeless world, your son was born. You made the world and saw that it was good. You sent your only son for you, our God. What a wonderful name. What a wonderful Savior How majestic you whisper How humble you love And with a streak like a weather And the heart of a father Savior, 
Seated. Please look at the screens for a video. My heart was born a blank slate, ready to be written on, to be filled up with the language of love. That's what I believed. I was wrong. My heart was a rock, an unmovable object, a stone temple for loving only myself. My heart was untouchable, unable to give, unable to feel what mattered most. But then you spoke to it. You spoke of a love that bleeds. You wanted my crumbling heart. You changed it, and it began to feel, and it began to hurt. The sorrow of my stubbornness burned. I wish to be stone again. And then you spoke your love again, more loudly still. And suddenly I knew what my heart was for. I gave it to you. I asked you to keep it. You filled it with praise. It ached with longing for you. My joy flowed over, even into my sorrow. Finally, I began to notice hearts of stone all around me, a world full of lovelessness, a million hearts that needed yours, and mine broke for them as it never could have before. You brought it to life and gave me the words to tell them of a love that turns hearts of stone into hearts that beat for you.
month there was a uh, protest in Whitefish, Montana, and the police described the uh, gathering of about 70 people as peacefully protesting until a visibly angry man showed up yelling profanities. That was uh, 51-year-old Jay Snowden. He was later charged with disorderly conduct. One of the people he verbally attacked, was part of the protest, was, was Samantha Francine. 27-year-old black woman. Uh, she was holding a Say Their Names sign. And Samantha said this, there were a lot of people angry about what we were doing, and he wasn't the first one to come up and let us know he wasn't happy about it. As uh, Snowden got into uh, Samantha's face and shouted, it, she locked eyes with him. And, and I found that the picture of that very arresting, as he just inches from her face and uh, uh, not only was I fascinated by the picture, but uh, I wanted to know why Samantha uh, did not return that anger. It didn't seem in any way. And uh, several news outlets reported this. She said that it was because of what her father used to tell her. She said that no matter what the threat is, you look them in the eye so they know you're human. That was an interesting response. So that they know you're human. And Samantha said she has no malice 
their heart towards Snowden and in fact delivered a gift basket to his wife uh, last Saturday. There's a lot of anger in our country today. And that anger comes about for all kinds of different reasons, right and wrong. We're going to examine a very specific kind of anger this morning. Uh, Anger that does not see the humanity of others. We're at the end of our series from Jonah called Castaway. And uh, now we are in chapter 4 of this short book, the prophet Jonah. And uh, it confronts us with this question about anger. And basically the, the question is, God repeats it twice, do you have a right to be angry? And uh, that's a question we should be asking ourselves. Uh, uh, your anger, my anger, can be a signal that something is going on in your life that needs to change. Especially something about seeing humanity in others. It, it may expose your anger. It may expose an ungodly worldview that you have, that I have. So let's investigate Jonah's anger in chapter 4 and hear the message that God has for us today. The last we saw Jonah, he was really experiencing an incredible success uh, in that God had sent him to deliver a message to the wicked city of Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. Jonah didn't want to go. Uh, We went through this story. We saw uh, the the time in the penalty box and Jonah's time of repentance. We viewed last week and his willingness to go to uh, Nineveh and declare the message that God wanted him to declare, which was 40 days until destruction. Well, the incredible success was that Jonah had no sooner started to announce that dire message. The very first day, the beginning of that day, he announces this message. The whole city turns to believe in God. They repent. They confess their sins and uh, change their evil ways. And so God turned from the judgment that he had declared, announced, and uh, said he would spare Nineveh. Well, this is a miraculous citywide revival, and you would think that as a prophet of God who had delivered the message, Jonah would be thrilled with this, but he has the exact opposite reaction. So we come to chapter 4, verse 1, and it says this, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. That's his response to a citywide revival. God forgave Nineveh, and it made Jonah mad. The word displeased by the way, yara is the Hebrew word, and, and it, it literally means to shake with emotion. And that's not just a little bit, there's a modifier there. He's greatly displeased. He's, his displeasure was so intense, and then he also felt anger. This is a word that refers to burning. So uh, Jonah is hot with fury. Uh, he's outraged over what's happened, that this city has turned to believe in God. And look how he explains his emotional reaction to the Lord. Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So I love how honest Jonah is. Uh, But what's his deal here? The Assyrians were the arch enemies of Israel. Not only were they cutthroat businessmen and idol worshipers, they were one of the most brutal cultures in history. At the height of their power, Assyrians intimidated their enemies through mass executions. Historians say that they filled ravines with bodies, corpses, 
and, and poured out the lives of their own troops like water, and they butchered armies like sheep and blinded their prisoners. Those are all historical quotes of what the Assyrians were like. So Jonah, he wanted Nineveh to burn in hell. That's what he wanted. And instead, God showed compassion to these people that he despised. And so Jonah shook with fury. How could God love this kind of people? He says he has no warmth in his heart at all for these barbarians. Now, by the way, when Jonah calls God gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, he's actually quoting Scripture. He's quoting from Exodus 34, 6, uh, where God reveals these attributes of himself to Moses. And so Jonah knows who God is, and he doesn't like it. He has a very good picture of the character of God. He doesn't like it. And many of us who are familiar with Scripture have this same trouble. We know what God wants. We know who He is. We know that Jesus said to to love our enemies and to pray for them. But we don't want to apply this to terrorists and atheists and abortionists and rioters and racists or idiots who cut us off in traffic. We, we, We want to be selective in this. So Jonah is in a battle with his own emotions and the character of God. Look how strongly he feels about it. Verse 3, Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. So Jonah would rather stop living than to see Nineveh enjoy forgiveness. Jonah cared more about his emotional need for personal justice than about God's mercy. Now let me remind you of, as we've said in other weeks, that an idol is anything we put above God, or even on par with God. It can be a person, it can be a motion, it can be a thing. Uh, Anything that we put on par with God is an idol. And Jonah had some idols that are revealed here. Jonah's idols were things like revenge, and fairness, and hatred, and racism. He wants Nineveh to get what's coming to them. So let me point out one source of anger that comes into our lives is someone gets a break we don't think they deserve. That's a source of anger. That's the source of Jonah's anger here. Somebody got a break they didn't deserve. Jonah's mad. How do you feel when good things happen to somebody who wronged you? Let that rattle around in your heart for a moment. I remember a serving at another church, a woman came, made an appointment to see me, and, and uh, she wanted me to know. She said, well, my ex-husband attends your church. And I said, oh, that's, that's great, I, I think. And she said, yeah, and he's getting baptized in a few weeks. And I said, oh, wow. Um, she said, you need to know some things about him. And I said, well, I... Sure, share with me. And so she shared a, a heartbreaking story. I can't, I can't remember all the details other than that her husband just decided one day to leave her and, and either before or shortly thereafter uh, was with another woman and eventually married her. And he said, now, now he has a whole new life. He has the truck he always wanted. He has a new wife who's younger than me. And then he finds Jesus. We used to go to church He wasn't too interested, and now he finds Jesus, and he is saying he's a follower of Christ, and his life is all changed, and and now he's getting baptized. And she said, he can't just get away with everything he did to me. Did I understand that? Absolutely. I understood her pain. I understood her anger on whatever level I could. Uh, But it was was directed because there was 
Somebody was getting a break after they had done her wrong. That's how Jonah's feeling. God hands out grace and we're looking for justice. That's what Jonah wanted, justice. Now look how God responds to this source of anger. Verse 4, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? That's a powerful question. Have you any right to be angry? I don't think this is a rebuke at all. God is asking a question to get Jonah to process what's going on in his life. To have him reassess his outlook, his perspective on things. Now, is, it, is there anger in your life? Is it possible that you're angry at people who haven't even personally done you wrong? Maybe you're mad at the LGBTQ community or at another religion or at a political party. Or maybe you're angry with those who, who live on social assistance. Or maybe you're angry at the super rich or, or at politicians or conservationists. Do you have a right to be angry if homosexual couples get equal rights? Are you right to be angry if illegal immigrants are granted citizenship? Is it right to be angry at powerful people like Richard Branson and Bill Gates who say they don't believe in God? Or to hate the Boko Haram terrorists who have killed thousands of civilians? Ask yourself that question. You say you want Jesus to save people, but not those people. That's where Jonah's at. You want people to, people to be saved, but not those people. You want to spread the good news, but mostly you want to spread the good news to people you like or people who are like you. See, the reality is that we get angry at people we see as too sinful to deserve mercy. It's a trap I get caught in. That's where Jonah's at. And the, the deal is that when, we, when that happens, what we've done is we've failed to remember that we don't deserve mercy either. That's what's wrong with that picture, that we're all unworthy of the forgiveness of God in Christ. We're, we're all only saved by the free gift of God by grace, who offers us rescue through the sacrifice of Jesus. God has done all the work in that, all of it. None of us is any closer to salvation than the other. None of us deserve it any more than anyone else. God has done all the work. On the cross, the perfect Son of God suffered and died, paying the penalty of sin for all who believe. Three days later, he arose from the grave, guaranteeing our salvation. And it was all God's doing, none of ours. No work we have done or can do accomplishes that, only the mercy of God. And so we have no right to resent anyone else for receiving that same mercy or desiring that anyone else receive that same mercy. So look what Jonah did then, response. Verse 5, Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Now you've got to appreciate what's happening here. Jonah got a safe distance away from Nineveh and waited to see if God would bring about the judgment that he'd promised would happen in 40 days if they didn't repent. And perhaps Jonah was thinking, well, maybe God's changed his mind after I presented my side of the story and I vented to him. Uh, because after all, Jonah had intensely passionate prayer. Uh, surely God would listen to that. And so Jonah is sitting out there waiting to see what will happen. And basically he's saying, God, you, you better judge them, God. It's them or me. I'd rather die than see this happen. So let's see what you're going to do. 
You ever pray against someone? You ever urge God to punish another person? Of course, that's the opposite of what we're called to do. Jesus says, Matthew 5.44, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Too many Christians are, instead of praying for those who persecute them, come up with conspiracy theories about why they're being persecuted. It's the opposite of what God calls us to do. So Jonah's there uh, uh, having a good seat for the fireworks that he hopes will happen. And you've got to appreciate that that area of the world, very hot on the plane, at least 110 degrees during the day. And Jonah had a little bit of shelter, but it was not enough. Verse 6 and following. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Jonah wants to die a lot in this very short book of his. He's very discouraged. Uh, Notice the the repetition of the word provided. It occurs in in these verses three times. And and, uh, the Hebrew word is mana, and and it's uh, part of the the story of this book, the fabric of this book. Uh, That that word means to appoint or to prepare. It's the same word that's used earlier when Jonah was thrown overboard and God provided a great fish to swallow him, basically save him from drowning. And so the point of this is that God is in control. It's saying this over and over again. God is in charge of all things. Here, God provided a plant that brought Jonah more happiness with each passing hour. And then God caused the plant to die just as quickly by providing a very small worm. Uh, this worm was a, uh, the, the word indicates that it's a, a tiny maggot-like creature. And so you have in this story God providing using a great big fish and God providing and using a tiny little worm to accomplish his purposes. The the emphasis is that God is in charge of all things, big and small. God is sovereign over his universe. Now the third provision, third thing God provides is a scorching wind. This just made things more miserable for Jonah. One reference work says that this type of of wind that brings abnormally low humidity and above average temperatures, and that the air is filled with a fine dust for up to a week. That's the kind of wind this this was. Another reference says that uh, uh, this very kind of wind, and I quote, makes the mildest people irritable. So even if you're a good-natured person, this kind of wind makes you grumpy. So Jonah's life is unbearable to him this little plant that brought him some comfort was gone and conditions that he was experiencing were wretched and he'd lost everything that seemed to make life worth living and and what God had done with all of this is to create an object lesson for Jonah so he says God says verse 9 do you have a right to be angry about the vine same question I do. He said, I am angry enough to die. So God says, Jonah, you have reason to be angry about this? Jonah says, of course I do. Aren't you paying attention? Absolutely. I'm so mad I don't even want to live. 
Here's another source of anger. When something unfair happens to us. And guess what? Lots of unfair things happen to us. And yet, there are sometimes those things are too much, too many, uh, too hard, uh, so unexpected, so undeserved, and, and it makes us angry. Have you experienced some bad things that have made you angry? Maybe it's the loss of a job, or the loss of a relationship, or the loss of investments, or the loss of your health, or the loss of a loved one, and you say, it's not fair. It's not fair. Especially when you're such a good person. Why did this happen to me? And all those other people are doing just great. Now, of course, you must remember this, as, as I must. Everything you have is God's. Everything you have. And God, Scripture makes clear, can save whom he wants and judge whom he wants, and he can build this and destroy that. He can make this grow, and he can make that wither. You want to escape bitterness? You have to realize who's in charge. Let me put it in this way. Escaping a life of bitterness means trusting that God is in control. Just no matter how great your pain or loss, God is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. As miserable and messy as life might get, God is sovereign. And when you get to the point where you can look at everything and anything in your life and say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's worship. That's real worship. When you understand at this point that no matter what happens, this way or that way, whether it's good or bad, I get, the, the Lord is in charge and I honor His name. I bless His name. That's worship. So why are we angry when things don't go as we hoped they would go? Why are we angry when we see things in people that we don't like and they don't seem to pay a price for it? What, what good does it do? That, that question that God asked Jonah two different times, what right do you have to be angry? And Jonah shakes with fury. He's blind with rage over the loss of a plant. And God zings him with this. Verse 10. But the Lord said, You've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? So, of course, Jonah had nothing to do with creating that vine that lived for a day. And still he's all upset about it. By what right? God says, if, I, if you can care about this little bit of vegetation that you didn't even plant or water, I can care about 120,000 people. Now, who are these 120,000? There, there are scholars who disagree about or, or have different opinions about who they are. Um, some believe that these 120,000 refer only to little children and infants who aren't old enough to... Uh, know which hand is which. However, that's not what the text says. It doesn't say children. There's a perfectly good couple of words for children. It, it, no, it uses the, the Hebrew word Adam, which means mankind, humanity, human beings. 
And so I see this as referring to the entire population of Ninevites who had turned to believe in God. They turned from their wicked ways, their evil and sin, and they listened to the message and believed God, as we saw in the previous chapter. They were spiritually naive, not knowing the right or wrong, but they've turned to God. They didn't know much about him, but they've repented and turned toward him. And so they're coming to God like little children in utter dependence. And do I need to remind you that's the way all of us must come to God to be received by Him. Not demanding, not deserving, but dependent, helpless, and in great need. Those are the ones God accepts. Unless you recognize your sin and you turn from that sin to Jesus, the only Savior, you aren't saved no matter what you say or believe otherwise, no matter what you've done in your life. And God even cares about the animals. We pointed that out last week. And and God is, he's showing that he's the owner of everything. And so he can do as he sees fit and to understand who he is and his character is to change our perspective about other people. So to ask the question in another way, why are you angry? Why are you angry? And I don't mean, you don't have to explode in rage to be angry. You can have this inner burn that nobody else knows is going on, that these, these feelings that are so hard to, to control. Doesn't mean, but, but is, there, is there anger going on in your life? And I would say anger is the most recognizable attitude that, that I see. And you know why I can spot it? Because I've seen it in me far too often. I, I want to share you one of the probably the most explosive times of anger in my life and I, I've shared some before um, just to let you know how God's worked in me now this one happened uh, some years ago while we were just heading out as a family on vacation both of our girls were were still with us and so uh, the, the the four of us were were driving off for vacation which apparently I needed far more than I realized as we stopped for gas and as we did, and I was filling up the tank, a, a young man in a, a red convertible with the top down pulled up right next to us, and he kept his music blaring at top volume while pumping gas, and that was fine, but the music was filled with vulgarities. The F-bomb was all over it, all kinds of things were going on. And, and I told him to turn that off because my family was right there. You know, I'm protective of my family. And, and I didn't tell him in a gentle way. I didn't really ask him in a nice way. And he refused. And so the situation escalated. And, and I didn't swear, uh, but I told him what I would do to him physically if he didn't comply with my request. And this led to more yelling and threats. In fact, we were yelling and threatening each other all the way into the convenience store to pay for the gas, much to the horror of all the other customers. As we came back out, get our vehicles, we're still yelling at each other. I look in my vehicle and I see the faces of my wife and my two daughters. And they're kind of horrified. They're, they seem embarrassed. They seem ashamed. And I got back into the car and I began to question, why did you get angry so fast? And, and that wasn't the only incident. That wasn't even the only incident that day. 
And over the next few days, I, I identified some sin in my life and some wrong perspective in my life. And here's the reality. I had forgotten how unworthy I am of the mercy of God. And my anger was a sign that deep down, I felt God owed me something that I wasn't getting. Oh, other people were getting it, but not me. And so I apologized to my family. I repented to the Lord. And I made some changes in my life. And for months, at least months after that, my daughters would ask, How are you, Dad? And I knew what they were asking. And my answer was this, I have love in my heart for all people. That was a reminder to me that I needed to have a different perspective that was God's and not driven by, by some anger I was harboring in my heart. So I, I would encourage you, as I need to, pay attention to anger. It's a sign that something is not the way it should be. It's a sign that you have maybe dehumanized someone else as not worthy of the love of God. See, anger can signal that you are far from God's heart. Far from God's heart. Because the heart of God is for people. The God of the Bible who is the God who reaches out His arms in love and forgiveness to all who call on Him. And whatever their background, whatever their baggage, whatever their culture, whatever their habits or sin, God's love extends to all. And the point of Jonah is to show us the very character of this God. That, that God's compassion embraces all nations with equal love. And so we need to see people, we need to see humanity through the eyes of God. Every single person is as important to God as you are, and I am. Now, not all will be saved. Scripture's clear of that, not all will be saved. But we must have compassion for all, because we don't know who those are. We must act as Jesus did when, when he saw crowds that were desperate and needy, filled with people who were hungering. He had compassion on them. The good Samaritan saw the man who was beaten and robbed, and he had compassion on him. Uh, Colossians 3.12 calls God's people to put on a heart of compassion. Uh, that, that's the message for us as the people of God. Uh, God would tell his church that we need to be agents of compassion in this world. See, the gospel is not simply just a good story. We are part of a worldwide revolution. We're a people transformed by the sacrifice of Jesus into sons and daughters of our Creator. And that truth needs to change how we live and think and react and how we view people. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what's been done to you. I don't know what you've suffered. I don't know what pain you've experienced, the issues you've faced, the ways that you've failed, but I call you away from anger and closer to the heart of God. That's what the world needs to see right now. Not angry people. Not judgmental people who point the finger at others. Not people complaining about being persecuted and marginalized. Not people hating other groups who believe and behave differently. No, this world needs to see people who are overflowing with supernatural grace and mercy. People amazed by the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as we bring this service to a close, I want to call you to join me in praising the greatness of God's love. Because the more you appreciate the compassion of the Savior, 
towards you, the more you will have compassion toward others. Declare with me just how deep and how wide and how great is his love for you. Because when you do that, it will increase your worship and it will increase your love of other people. And I don't know about you, but I need to love others a whole lot better than I do. Find shelter in the love of God today, a love that flows from his character, a God who is rich in mercy, filled with compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in love to all he has made. Be amazed by that love. Would you stand and sing with me?
amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. How you love me. Receive this benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. Now may Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God bless you. Let this be our closing proclamation together. Lord, we believe. We believe. Let's stand together. In this time of desperation, when all we know is doubt and 